We continue in our journey through the book of Romans as we, uh, in the bigger picture, are looking, are chronologically walking through the first century of the church and how it came to fruition and, uh, and how the Spirit of God, which we believe is the acts of the Spirit, as we've moved through the book of Acts, we have uh, broken off and, and done different books as Paul has authored them or has, as he has been in that context. And, uh, and here we are in Romans. Paul is writing this letter to this church to establish them, uh, to remind them, to, uh, to, um, to prepare them, uh, to be an instrument that, that he might even use as a, as a springboard into Spain and to the, the gospel being realized, uh, to the known world. And, uh, and so we, over the last, uh, several weeks, we've been looking at the first four chapters. And this chapter five opens up with therefore. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, I want you to grab them. And as we pray this morning, I want you to hold your Bible and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals, that manifests your, your love and your, your will and purpose for our lives. Uh, Father, that you, you truly reveal yourself. Uh, through your written word, and I pray that you would write it upon our hearts this morning, that you would find our hearts submitted to your Holy Spirit, that you would you would work this miracle in us, that you would transcribe your will and word uh, and purpose and plan right into our hearts, so that we would um, that we would submit to these things in a in a in a way of declaring you Lord uh, of of everything, that declaring that your sovereign reign is our greatest joy. And that our worship of you and nothing else or no one else is our passionate purpose. And so, Father, this morning I pray, uh, with the help of your Holy Spirit, that you would use your humble servant to declare your word in such a way that it, it, it's planted and rooted and established in hearts. And that these hearts would be such fertile soil that it would come to fruition, 30, 60, even 100 fold, that, uh, that we as a church your church, your bride, would be a vibrant, radiant expression of, of the good news of Jesus Christ to this community. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment you do the miracle of planting yourself in us. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're with me, we're in Romans chapter 5. Um, it's Matthew, uh, in the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, and the very next book is Romans. And, uh, we have looked through four chapters of this, and that's why we see, right, the outset of chapter five, therefore. He is, you know, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you should ask the question, what is it? What is it there for? Because what it's doing is it's referring back to the previous four chapters. And because we have been studying and reading and, and preaching through this, these four chapters, we know what the therefore is all about. That Paul has unpacked it, that early in chapter one, that the wrath of God remains on humanity and on the unrighteous and the ungodly. And that God is really what, God, what, what Paul is unpacking, that is God is both just and justifier, as he did in chapter three, and then totally kind of shares that with us or unpacks that in chapter four. Uh, Pastor Trevor kind of did such a marvelous job of helping us to, to, to really understand that in a more profound way. And, uh, and, and so we understand that God doesn't just turn aside to sin. God continues to be just and he punishes sin, but isn't it the most glorious act of love that he poured out in his in his prophetic will, he poured out the wrath that was due humanity on his own son and that Jesus willingly ran to the cross. He set his he fixed his eyes on the cross 
and, uh, and, and made his way to Jerusalem knowing what his demise would look like in, in detail. And Hebrews tells us for the joy set before him, knowing that it would reconcile humanity from his separated state. Jesus separated himself from the Godhead so that he, so that we would know, we would know the reconciling work of the cross, that we would know what it means to be one with the Father. Uh, and that was Jesus' passionate prayer in the garden. He said, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. And, uh, and so we have the joy of being justified. Uh, so God is not only just that he punishes sin perfectly. He's righteous in that expression. But he's also the justifier in that he, he poured out his sin on himself so that we could be liberated. As Trevor mentioned last week, it's both uh, a statement of justice... Okay, so we are declared not guilty because the guilt of our sin was poured out on his son that we might be liberated from our, our, our guiltiness. But it's also a financial statement because we had a debt beyond our ability to, to, to comprehend. And that debt was against God. And, uh, and he, the glorious king that we see described in, in Matthew 18, he forgives the debt at the cross, a debt that he held in forbearance for those that had faith and trusted in him for his promise and his, the pinnacle of his promise. Every promise is yes in Jesus. The pinnacle of his promise was the cross, was Calvary. And God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I hope you come away from this morning um, kind of understanding more profoundly what, what it means that we're justified in Christ. Uh, that you are overwhelmed with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving by what God has done for us in Christ, that, that he would endeavor to, to love us in our, in our rebellious, sinful state, um, and that he would give us the most precious gift on the planet, which is himself. And, uh, and that, that alone is what we need more of. Um, so join me in uh, chapter 5. Uh, we'll look at the first four verses. And... Uh, And it starts with, therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, if you can imagine, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? More than that, 
we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So justification. You know, our first tendency is when we think about being justified in Christ, we think about the eternal implications. We think about, whoa, <laughs> uh, I am spared from my, my, the, the, the coming judgment. Uh, the, the wrath of God that remained on humanity has been quenched on my behalf because of God's mercy and grace, his unmerited favor uh, motivated by his love and purpose. But what we fail to, to, to remember that it has present expression, like the, the, the justifying work of the cross the, the fact that we have peace with God and that we have access into his throne room and the fact that, that there's a hope of a glory to be revealed to us and in us, like that sustains us in our storms. Yes, it, it continues to ignite our joys in the ups, um, but life isn't always about the ups. Uh, it can be a roller coaster ride, right? There's ups and there's down. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have Overcome. I have overcome. And in, in Revelation chapter 12, we understand that that overcome is, uh, he has overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the testimony of God's finishing work in Christ, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God has overcome our sin, our, 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 the wages of sin is death, so he's overcome death and now has liberated us into his presence. He has satisfied the separation that we experience from the Father because of, of sin. So what we must understand that justification transforms our destiny, yes, but it also transforms our present actions and our feelings in good and especially in rough times. So today we're going to look at, because this passage exemplifies the, the benefits of justification. The benefits of justification. Many have, to, uh, have defined justification as just as if I, I had no sin. And, it's, and as I've mentioned before, it's so much bigger than that. We stand in a righteous status before God, not in our own righteousness, but in the, right, the perfect righteousness of Christ. And we stand in that. It doesn't fade, spoil, or diminish. It doesn't, it do, it, it's not hindered by our sinful, sinful choices. We are saints that sin, but, our, but God's grace is bigger than our sin. And that's not a license to sin. If anything, that's a motivation not to. Because of the love that's been demonstrated by that expression. So verse 1 says, Therefore, and we already know what it's there for, since we have been justified. That's been the topic of conversation for the last two chapters. Since we have been justified, since we have been liberated from our sin debt, since God in his mercy has continued to satisfy his justice, but he poured out the, the, the sin debt, the, the consequence. I mean, that song, the last song we sang, look at the cross. And if that doesn't display the love that God has for us, if that doesn't display his mercy towards us. And so since we have been justified by faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, it says we have peace with God. Okay, so what we have to understand is there, there's a difference. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, it talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard our heart and mind as we choose to be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. It's just describing this dependent life that chooses not to, to put their focus in their, their, their circumstances and, and be anxious 
but they put their hope and trust in the Lord. And in a, in a mode of thanksgiving, they are prayerful, making petition of the Lord. And it says the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard their heart and mind. This isn't, this isn't the peace from God or of God. This is peace with God. Like this, this is what justification brings to us is now the hostility, the hostility, the, the war that, that ensued between us and God because the truth is we wanted our kingdom to come. We wanted our will to be done. And, you know, when you have two kings in a kingdom, that sounds like conflict to me. And so there was a war and God has, God has standards in his kingdom and those standards are perfection and we are desperate for the righteousness of Christ. And so God has, God has satisfied his righteous requirements of the law by imputing his, his righteousness, Christ's righteousness to us. And now in this moment of surrender, in this moment of acknowledging that there's only one king on the throne and he alone is worthy of honor, glory and power and praise. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. So the number one benefit that we see here is we have peace with God. The number one result of justification. We are no longer at odds with God. We are reconciled through, and I think it's so important that the passage, and I highlighted here, the passage says the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is, that is who he is. We, we are called to acknowledge the reality of his lordship. And that's the greatest kingdom you ever want to live under. That's the most loving rule that you will ever want to experience. That is, that is the most gracious rule. And God wants us to experience that. So what is the opposite of peace? We have peace with God. It's war. And the war is the conflict between us wanting our own way and God's way being realized in our life, which is what's best for us. It is a war because we have established our throne over our lives and you're at odds with God's reign. We want our will and our kingdom to come until, until that glorious moment where God reveals himself to us and we understand the glor- this how wonderful he is and we surrender to his will and wants and in that we have peace with God. We have peace with with God. So God sent his son to bring peace. We see uh, in Isaiah that Jesus uh, prophetically is referred to as the prince of peace. He ushers in as the ultimate offering. You know, like, wouldn't it make sense that we're the ones that are betraying his sovereign reign, that we're the ones that make the offering, that we're the ones, but yet God in his mercy, in his, in his unmerited favor, in his grace, he's the one that expresses, he's the one that makes the offering because he knew that only he could make the offering that would, that would set us free, that would bring peace uh, to the kingdom. See, we were desperately guilty before God and his kingdom and, the compl- and completely overwhelmed in debt to God. And we had no remedy in our own regard, in our own mind, in our own context. Jesus intentionally came, became our peace offering, and we surrendered to the throne, to the, to the, and, and to the obvious king. To the obvious. You know, in light, I love that, you know, in the boat, as, as God does a miraculous thing and harvests so many fish that two boats begin to sink in Luke chapter 5, it's the obvious statement of Peter in that moment. Not to jump up and down, but to, to see Jesus for who he really is. 
You know, you're the son of the living God. Where else can we go to, to get the words of eternal life? These are words that he declared after that. But in the moment where he recognizes Christ for who he is, the creator of all things, the one that can tell fish to jump in a net, you know, he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. In that moment, we, we, we recognize the obvious king. He quit calling him master, and in that moment, he calls him Lord. And, uh, and when we come to that, it's an obvious moment that his reign is so much greater and so much more significant than mine. And we surrender. Peace with God is not something that we can accomplish. It is granted to us. This is clearly uh, displayed here in, in the book of Romans. It is something that God bestows on us in his mercy. It is not merited by anything that we do. It is an unmerited gift. And God, in his mercy, justifies us. So the passage continues. Through him, him being the Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand. Okay, so let's just unpack. This is the second point. So the first point is, a, is, a, is if we look at this in a, in a context of tense, the first point is something that's transpired in our past. Now this is something that is, that is, a, that is a here and now experience, that we have access because of the justifying work of Christ. We have access to the throne room of God. We have access into God's grace and mercy that has its expression in, in our regeneration or the beginning of our salvation. And then we have perpetual standing with God. Like it's not a standing that we walk in and out of. Uh, sometimes as Christians we believe like, uh, I, you know, when I get everything right and I, and I confess it all, then I'm in, you know, and then, and then if I make a mistake, I'm out. Like, no, what the, the way the scripture speaks about our being justified is it is a perpetual standing. No matter where we're at, we stand because we're not standing in our righteousness. We're standing in his. Does that make sense? And so that, that alleviates any, uh, you know, struggles with assurance of our salvation because it doesn't depend on us. It, it fully depends on him and he is faithful and has been faithful. So what we understand from the first part of verse 2 is through him we have also obtained or gained access by faith. And again, that's reiterated the second time we see that from verse 1 to verse 2 into this grace in which we now, the NIV says, stand. In our present, in our now, in, in, in this moment, if we are in Christ, we stand in God's presence. We don't wander in and out of that. That is our constant status because of the righteousness of Christ, because of God's mercy. We are brought into fellowship with God and now have standing with him permanently. The, the, this word has a connotation of remain. We remain in his presence. Uh, in Ephesians it says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Like that's, that's who we, because that's where Christ is and our life is hidden now with Christ in God. And so um, this, is, this is our, so the second benefit that we see is access into this grace in which we stand. That's our second, that's the second fruit, if you will, of, of justification. So not only are we no longer at odds with God, we have a permanent relationship with him because of Christ. The throne room is constantly available to us. It's constantly available to us through our king and to our king. 
And so we, we, uh, we have this. I mean, isn't that awesome to know that we can constantly enter into God's presence? The veil has been torn from top to bottom. And because of what Christ has done, we have access to the God of the universe. And he, lo- he asks, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Number three is, we, is the second part of verse, verse 2. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what this is, is this isn't a hope like, like, we, uh, like I hope I get to do this. Biblically, a hope is a certainty. Like it is a, it's a sure, it's an assurance of things hoped for. Like it is, it is a cons, it is a confident, um, reality in the future. And what is it that we have a confident reality of? God's glory being revealed to us and in us. And so we see the, the three tenses here. We see the past tense. Right, that we have peace with God. We see the present tense, that we have access to God's throne room. And then we see the future tense in that God's, yes, God's glory is being, we're going to talk about this in a moment, is being revealed to us even now. But then there'll be a day where we'll know him as he is fully known. He will pull back the veil and he will reveal himself to us and we will be transformed by him showing himself to us. That's, that's how we're changed, by, by bathing in his presence by Him revealing Himself to us. And so even in the here and now, as we enter into His presence in meditation, in prayer, um, in thanksgiving, in worship, like we, we are transformed. We are transformed. It's an awesome thing. The sure anticipation of sharing God's glory in the future, that's what this third piece, this third fruit of, uh, of our justification in Christ this hope is not uncertain. It is a confident hope rooted and established in God's promises. And that, that's why it makes it not a maybe, it makes it a definite. Because God is faithful to his word, amen? Like he's faithful to his word, so our hope is sure in these things. So the more we experience peace with God and unbroken relationship with him, the more excited and eager we become for his presence. So what does that do? Because heaven... Heaven isn't heaven without Him. Like He is what makes heaven heaven. So His presence is what ultimately we're going to experience. And so what we taste as we walk through uh, the fruits of justification is we taste this presence. We taste the joy of this presence. And what does that do? It cultivates anticipation, excitement, and eagerness for an eternity in in His presence. He continues to confirm his promises um, of his return. He continues to do that through these moments of trials and difficulties. He continues to do that in moments of worship where he continues to reveal himself to us. And in these moments, we start to taste the glory of God. We start to, and it's just a taste, but it gets our, it wets our appetite. It, uh, it's a drop, but it, it, it makes us long for the ocean. And so, um, this is what God is doing in the midst of revealing his glory is, is cultivating a hope in us for a future glory where we will be as he is. He will not only reveal his glory to us, he will manifest it in us. Um, a question for you as we ponder this. Is your hope of glory growing? Is your hope of glory growing? If you're experiencing trials, and as I look around, I know many of us are. Um, trust me, that's God's objective in that. God is, draw, is drawing us in those moments. God is, is longing for you to be 
dependent and, and, and recognize that he longs to be intimate with you so that he might impart, that he might through his Holy Spirit pour out his love, that he, that he might reveal a facet of himself and, and, and the glory of God might be uh, continually birthed and grown and established in us. But I want to tell you, it, if, you're not, if you're not experiencing a growing um, experience of God's glory. This is this is a big, uh, like this is a factor of maturity. Like this this is how we grow. Like when we're formed into Christ, that's maturity, right? I mean, so we grow by God revealing Himself to us, and it's His glory that's revealing and transforming us. And so this is God's prime objective in our life is to make us look like Him, is to perfect us as He is perfect. And so the key to this is rest in His presence and in His peace. Just as this passage tells us, we have peace with God. Like the church needs to know and realize that it's not a passing peace. It's not a, a restless peace. It's not a fleeting peace. It's a, we, we have peace with God. That, that is what Christ has purchased for us. And we have access to his throne room. Do you think for just a moment that that's good, good news when we're going through troubles and trials? That we have peace with God? Does that, because the enemy wants to say, oh, God's mad at you. You have hostility with God. And that's just not true. And the good news is, is we have constant, we have constant access. We are granted constant access into his throne room. And so when we go through trials, this is God's hope, is that we would rest in his peace and that we would draw near into his presence and that he would reveal his glory. We would be transformed. Our experience would be eclipsed by who he is and who he's making us. Do you see the progression in this passage already in just verses 1 and 2? Do you see the progression? We are brought into his kingdom and we have peace with God. We have peace with God. That's our past. We are granted access into the present uh, to enjoy intimacy with God. And we have a perfect hope of the fullness of his presence in the future. We have a, a perfect hope in that. We have a completed hope because God is faithful to his words. See, as God reveals and reminds us of this, does, does joy and worship rise up in you even right now? You know, as God reminds you that, that you, are not, you are no longer at odds, you, are, you have peace with him, that there's a, constant, there's a constant invitation into his presence and that he is revealing and going to reveal ultimately in full, there's a hope that his glory will be revealed to you. Man, God is good. But our lives are like roller coasters, filled with, filled with highs and lows. So what difference does this make, this reality, this truth make when things are tough? Right? That's the segue that Paul that goes into here. Because, like, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> I, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. I have no fear of punishment anymore. I, I, I know that because of Christ, I will stand before God's, God's judgment seat and Christ would, would, would have administered his mercy to me. Um, and so that's good news. But what, how does it affect me here and now? Paul continues. And even says this, more than that. Wow, can there be more than that? But even more than that. To add to this, he says, we rejoice in, and let's make sure that we understand, not for. Look, God didn't look down on his son at the cross when he was experiencing all the pain and suffering and go, oh, that's great. Like, it's not we rejoice for our sufferings, we are called to rejoice in our sufferings with, with the mindset that we are justified. 
with the mindset that we have peace with God, with the mindset that we have, we have access to the throne room, with the mindset that there's a future glory and that glory sustains us, right? In light of the light and momentary afflictions, like that's what Paul talks about. How could he call his trials and sufferings, which were immense, how could he call them light? Because his perspective was the glory of God, like what's to be revealed, what's coming. And when that's our mindset, these things get dwarfed, get overshadowed, um, and we can literally have joy in the storm. Because he says, we rejoice in, again, not for our sufferings, because we know something. Because our knowing leads to firm conviction for belief. We believe something. We believe that suffering produces endurance, perseverance, steadfastness. See, we believe something. We believe that from God's perspective, that problems have purpose, that suffering has significance. We believe this. We know this. This is something that, is, that, is, that, that we're confident of in our faith, that these things don't come to us, but from God's motive to form us and to draw us in so that he might reveal himself. Do, does anybody here but me have a tendency to sometimes get off the beam, to sometimes kind of wander, wander out of the fold? You know, and, and, and it's often these, 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 these trials and tribulations that bring me back to the, to the, oh yeah, you're God, I'm not. Your will's better than my will. Oh Lord, thank you that I can just walk into your presence and confess my sin to a faithful and just God who forgives me my sin and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I know that's true. I know that you're the prodigal father that waits on the horizon for me and embraces me and throws a party when I, you know, like, like we know the character and the heart of God and, and, uh, and we know that in those moments that God is going to reveal, pour out his love through his spirit and he's going to reveal himself to us and he's going to continue to, to birth in us a desire and a hunger and an eager anticipation for what? Heaven. Him. Right? That's what he's doing. He's, he's continuing to give us a taste of the glory divine, like of what's coming. He's so faithful to this. What we're being told is that this reality helps us to find joy in our sufferings. We know something as believers that suffering has great benefit and purpose. We know this. We believe it. It's not just knowledge. It's our present reality. And as followers of Christ, look past the sufferings to the Savior's love. Man, I, I'm not saying this is easy, and, and I'm not even saying it. It's, it sometimes it's impo- it's, we feel like it's impossible. But this is what the Spirit is urging us to. Like this is what God in us is, is calling us to an abiding relationship with Him. And it's through these moments that, you know, I believe that we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back and we're going to go, wow, that hard moment, that was, that was awesome. That was, you know why? Because it, it, it produced that. And it drew me in here. And it transformed me in this way. Because that's what God's up to. That's what he's longing to do in us. We as followers of Christ look past the sufferings to the Savior's love. That's so important. This passage continues to tell us uh, the results of suffering for those who have put their trust in Christ. Because otherwise, if our suffering, if we focus like, like Peter, if we focus on the winds and the waves, we're consumed by them. But if we, if we fix our eyes 
stay steadfast on the Savior. If we're, that's why it's so important that we're in fellowship. Jesus actually calls his bride himself. When you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Like, guys, we've got to be in community. Because part of drawing close to one another is, is, is drawing close to the Lord. He sees us as one. That's, that's his work. That's what he's doing. And through the trials and sufferings like that we're called to have joy in, not for, but in, God is, God is using that to draw us in. So here's the thing. Many have said, you know, the wrong question to ask is why? But what if you already have that question answered in the midst of your storms? What if the question is already because I love you and I'm, I'm wanting to draw you close and reveal my glory to you. What if that's the statement that God's already made about that moment? And what if that's the truth? Because doesn't it matter that that's his motive? Doesn't it matter that God's not out to get you, he's out to get you? Like, doesn't it matter that he loves you so deeply that when you're going through the stuff that it's his intention, it's his hope, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Like it's, it's his hope that you, would, that you would come to know his glory, that you would come to this. I mean, why did Christ die? But to, 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 to solve our separation, right? And what does that look like in the day-to-day? Is so, man, what does God want? God wants, God wants oneness with you. And, and even in our Christian life, on the other side of our salvation, we still struggle with, but my kingdom, Lord, you know, like a little bit. My will, maybe just a little. Man, don't we got to come to a place where we go, man, that, that's going to kill me. I, I don't want anything to do with my kingdom because my kingdom is selfish and destructive towards others. God's kingdom comes. It, it satisfies me in the most richest way. It tells me I belong and that I'm his. And now I don't have to prove anything to anybody. And so I can literally be a servant as Jesus was. I can be a slave to others and I can give my life away rather than trying to hold on to it. Because we're blessed to be a blessing and we can't be a blessing to others when we're trying to hold on to our life. Jesus modeled and gave his life so that others might know life. And that's what he's called us to do too. Perseverance. You know, another way to look at this because what we're looking at here in verse 3 is this progression that suffering produces something. Suffering has intention. It has purpose. It has significance. Perseverance or singleness of mind. Like, that's another way to understand what the, what the Greek is saying here is, and if it's singleness of mind, it means focus. And if we lose our focus, doesn't this make perfect sense? That when we lose our focus, sometimes the, the troublesome times call us back into focus? And so, perseverance or singleness of mind, sufferings, suffering helps us to focus on what really matters. And it also eliminates distractions. You ever notice that? It kind of all, all of a sudden it puts priorities in perspective. We start to go, wait a second, now I, I, really, I know that my family really matters and not my career. You know, we st- things like things happen and, and, uh, and we wake up to this reality, this truth. Verse 4 continues, endurance produces character and character produces hope. We understand that endurance builds us. Like steadfastness, focus on the Lord. Like if that's, if that's our mindset in those moments of suffering and trial, then we're reminded of the fruit of justification 
that we have peace with God, we have access to his throne room, and that we have a future glory that's coming. And when we're reminded of those things, it, it produces character in us, testedness, resolve, the character of Christ, the character that, that, that kneels in the garden and says, not my will, but your will being done. Fully aware that this means that I must give my life. But the endurance spills. Are you in a place right now where you're suffering? Are you in a place, or maybe you can reflect upon a time where you were suffering, and, and you, can, you can understand based on the, the hindsight of, of that experience that, my gosh, like God's heart in these moments is to draw me in. God's heart in this moment is to, is to reveal himself to me and to reveal his love to me and to pour his love out. How many people have testified in those moments that, man, but God is near. And could it be that I'm near? And that he's always near? You know, and, and could it be, how many people have testified, man, I just feel the grace and the love of God. I feel it. I know it. It's not that it's there. It's not it's, it's a characteristic or attribute. It's who he is. And when we get in his presence, we experience him. And that's what love, that's where love flows from. So endurance produces character. And this character produces hope. Like it is God's desire that we, that we come to a place of steadfastness, that we come to a place of Christ-like character. But the, the ultimate like, like destination from God's perspective is that we come to a place of abiding hope that our hope uh, is, is steadfast and sure in who God is and what he's doing and what he will do. The chain of events continue and hope is developed. Hope is the resilient guarantee of the confidence in our peace, access to God and future glory, as I just mentioned, so that we understand what biblical hope is. Suffering reveals to us what we are putting our hope in. This is such a critical point and ideally moves us to the sure hope, ideally, of God's faithfulness. Like what we're putting our hope in will be surely like exposed during our suffering. Does that make sense? Like what, and, and God's hope is, is that He will show us the, how hopeless those things that we're trusting in, whether it's money or people. And what, and, and His ultimate hope is that He, that we would, that we would put our hope in Him and find Him faithful. And that's a sure, a surety. Verse five goes on to say, and hope does not disappoint us, or hope does not, uh, um, does not put us to shame. It, it's, it's not a hope that, that's frail or fickle or, or, or maybe. It's a, it's, a, it's a sure hope because it's rooted in God's faithfulness and His promises. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Look, this is God. This is what, when God poured out His Spirit, He said that you'll be clothed with power from on high. What does that power look like? Love, joy, peace, patience. Man, we, we think about power and we think about like military power or forced power or dominating power. But man, let me tell you what, what clothed with power looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Jesus embodied these characteristics. Meekness was, was who he was. Strength under control, under the sovereign reign of God. And so he has, God has poured out his, um, has been 
Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit in whom has been given to us, who has been given to us. Like when God put his spirit in us, he put himself in us. That is a big part of God's glory revealed. Like he is, he's beginning a work in us. And here's the, here's the hope that this passage continues to tell us. He will finish what he has started. Look, if, if he loved us, and this is what this passage goes on to talk about, but if he loved us enough to die for us when we were in rebellion and hostile at war with him, if he loved us in that mode enough to die, if that's the demonstration of his love that's seen in the reality of the cross at that moment, how much more, how much more is he going to finish what he started in us now that we are his sons, now that we are reconciled, now that we belong? Man, don't ever doubt God's finishing work. And if he loved us then, he loves us now. And his love, it, we can't comprehend its depth, its width, its height, its expanse. And I love in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, first part of verse 8 says, Love never, never fails. God doesn't know failure. And his love abides. It's, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't spoil. God is the author and finisher of this process by his love poured out in us through the Holy Spirit. And what God is wanting to do when you face problems and trials, do you know what he wants to do? He wants to pour his love into you. Guys, that's what he's doing when things are tough. He is wanting for you to, to, to remember that he, you have peace with him so you can enter into his throne room and he can, through his Holy Spirit, he can administer his love like he longs to comfort you in that moment. We run to doctors. We run to our own understanding. We run to so many things. And God says, run to me and I will pour out comfort and love. I will sustain you in your storm. I will be the shepherd that walks you through the valley of the shadow of death. So we understand that it is God pouring out his love that sees us through the storms of life. Many have shared that their experiences, uh, they experience God's presence and love more profoundly during these times of suffering. Many. It's, it's the testimony of those that are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the... Right? We're testifying constantly. It is the justifying work of the cross that sustains me and even brings me to joy in these, in these moments. So the big idea is this. The result of justification, peace with God, access to Him, future glory, all of that, the result of justification are not weakened by suffering. They are strengthened by it. Man, that is... Man, let that sink in. Let that, let that process a little bit. Like the results, that's why he can say even more so, even more, that the results of justification are not weakened during suffering. They are actually bolstered. They are actually strengthened in the mode of suffering. God wants to remind us and, and, and fortify us in the fact that I am here. We have peace that, that I am revealing my glory and shall res- reveal my glory to you. When we suffer, we discover that we are truly, that we are really trusting in either he or me. Right? That's, that's, that's really when, when it kind of comes down to when I'm suffering, am I trusting in him? Or in myself? Am I leaning on my own understanding? Or am I trusting God? And, uh, and there's two drastically different outcomes in those moments. So because of the Holy Spirit, we are, we are internally experiencing God's love. 
Like that's what the passage tells us, that, that it's in those moments that God is pouring out his love to us. Man, do you know that that's the heart of God? To love us? To, to administer himself to us? Now, in verses 6 to 8, Paul is showing us God's love experienced internally. Right? Um, so, I mean, in verses 1 through 5, that how, how we've ex- we will experience God's love internally. Now, in verses 6 through 8, he's sh- showing us how it's an external expression as well. So you can know God's love when, you, when your feelings and circumstances prompt you to quench, question his love. Okay, so, so just in case that you have those moments where you question, do you love me, God? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. It surely doesn't look like it right now. So he goes on to say this in verses 6 to 8. While we were still weak, another translation says powerless, and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That was you and I. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Like, to, to die for someone righteous, who you know, someone might do that. Though per, for, per, perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. But Jesus died for the rebellious, the, the separated, the sinner. But God showed or demonstrates, I, I like that it, it has the same connotation as proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ, God in the flesh, died for us. That's the external expression of God's love. God wants to pour his love through his spirit into our hearts. But we need to constantly come like we did last week in communion. We need to come to the table and be reminded because I think what, 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 is, what does communion do? Reminds us of the body and blood. And what, what is the body and blood based on this verse? But the demonstration of God's love. He wants us to be reminded that he loves us. He, we need to be reminded of that because life is hard. And this, this is where we're reminded of his overcoming work. And then in verses 9 through 11, he continues. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Like, don't you love that that's past tense? Don't you love that that's a finished work? Don't you love that it's a, that's, that's been accomplished? This is being spoken to the church, to the believer, and saying, Hey, good news here, guys. I want you to know you've been justified. And what does that mean? That I have peace with God. I have access to his throne room and God is revealing himself to me. He's changing me. He's transforming me. How is he doing that? By revealing himself to me. And then he's going to ultimately do that one day. And I have a a, a firm hope in that. A firm hope of that. See, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Like blood had to be shed. and, And John the Baptist looked at Jesus on the other side of his baptism and says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus did. He shed his blood so that you didn't have to. He endured your pain. He suffered your, he suffered your curse. And he willingly did that in order that you might be justified, in order that you might be given access to his throne room. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, now that we're reconciled, we understand that, that if he loved us then, he surely loves us now. You know, like if he, lo- if, he, if, he, if he did it then, he's going he's gonna to do it now. He's going to finish what he started in us because the enemy constantly wants us to think that he's given up on us, that he doesn't love us, that he's left us in this storm. And it's not true. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saved. 
Like now, the, the, the life of Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our, he's our arbitrator, our mediator. We are, you know, please let this passage sink in and, and acknowledge the fact that, that, that God will never leave you or forsake you, that he's never going to give up. He's going to finish the work that he started. Never let the enemy tell you that God's taken a day off. It's just not true. God, God is with you to the very end. Jesus said, to, he says, he said it right there when he gave the great commission. He says, and I will be with you to the end of the age. That's a promise from the lips of God. We can count on those things. Verse 11 says this, more than that, like as if it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation with him. Guys, I just thought, as the worship team's coming, I just thought the most appropriate way for us to finish our time together today is to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. I'm hoping that as we even entertain what God has done, motivated by love, motivated by a desire to separate, to, to deal with our separation, I, I, it just, it just wells up in me, thanksgiving and joy. It just wells up in me a heart of, of worship and thanksgiving. And so we're going to open with a, we're going to do two songs and we're going to open with a song that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And so what I want you to do in this moment is I just want you to just look over this passage. I want you to just meditate on what God has, 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 has desired to plant in your hearts this morning. Is a, is a full hope and assurance that you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and, and you've never declared him Lord. You've never recognized that his sovereign reign is better than yours and his will for your life and for the lives of those around you is far better than yours. I'd encourage you to surrender to his sovereign will, to surrender to his love and be reminded in this first song that Jesus loves you. He demonstrated that love by giving his life. And through his spirit, he longs to pour out that love in the midst of adversity, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial. Why? To remind you that you have peace with God. You have access to the Father, the creator of all things, and that God is revealing his glory and you have a hope of a whole lot more. This is God's love.